Last year was just a year of survival, I think. You know, my father had passed away really suddenly. I didn't know how to imagine a world with, without my dad, let alone do life without him. So and now I felt really alone because I had to make decisions for my family and for myself without the one person to really discuss that with. Um, so it was just really scary. I felt like the Lord was calling me to move back to Dallas, and I knew something was needed of me here, but I didn't really know what that looked like. So I was just confused. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what that all was going to be. I kind of knew there was no way to get through this without God. I just sort of kept hearing my dad say that. and like. I was asking God, why did my dad go? But it wasn't like, why did you take him? But I knew there had to be some kind of a larger purpose because I was still here, even though I thought grief was going to really try to end my life. I mean, it was just too brutal. And I asked a friend of mine, you know, gosh, I'm looking for a church. Where am I going? You know, this is what I'm looking for in a church, diversity, a place that had you know, community and that felt alive and was awakened. And she said, you've really got to go check out Shoreline City. Like that's, that's your place. That's your home. Even though I was like delirious with grief, I felt like I was seeing the world through like a dirty window, you know? Um, I felt like something started to let more light in. Um, and when I walked into the auditorium, I just felt like a wind blow through me. And I just felt God say, like, this is why I've called you home. And just, like, a promise of, like, what was to come. Grief really tries to make you feel lonely. It wants you to feel lonely. It wants you to feel like you can't share it with people. It wants you to feel like they don't understand what you're going through. And when you're surrounded by people who will love on you and walk with you through that time in your life and remind you of... Um, the purpose for that pain, when it will be revealed, and how faithful God is to show up in your life. Those are the people that help to get you through those moments, and you one day will be somebody who will have the honor and the privilege to stand in the gap for someone else. So even though you can't see it, and even though um, the waves of grief come and go, you might feel a great season of joy and then be hit all over again with the storm. Just don't give up and trust that God has you. He sees you. He loves you. He values you. And he will never, ever stop chasing you. I didn't think any good was ever going to come out of it. And to just see how it's changed my family's life and how I live more joyfully and more abundantly and more surrounded is more than I ever could have asked, think, or imagined. You know, ever, ever. We got married we just thought you know babies would come right along just like they don't always do for people and um, about five years in we we finally did go to the doctors and he said there's nothing wrong with you guys it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when about eight years into it um, I remember there were a lot of days that Vinny would have to go to work and he would like look me in the eye and be like I don't want to leave you today because it was just he could see how sad I was there was Father's Day Vinny had always been so positive through all the eight years. No matter how low I got, Vinny was always super positive. And, um, but that, that afternoon, he sat down on the side of the bed and he said, you know, I'm just realizing that this is never gonna happen for us. And whenever he said that, it really like 
struck something in me like, no, no, we both can't be hopeless. You know, somebody, one of the two of us has to keep the hope alive. It's in August and a coworker of mine let me know that she was pregnant. I just remember her being like more apprehensive about the situation and not knowing if she could provide the life that she wanted her baby to have. One day she came, I checked on her, hey, how you doing, how's the baby? And she said, the baby's good, I'm having a girl, I need to find this baby a family. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, ding, 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 this is your cue, you know, tell her. And so I just looked at her and I said, you know, Vinny and I would really like to have a family one day. She just looked at me and she was like, well, I'll just give you this one. Like, duh. And so, and I looked at her and I was like, um, I don't know what's happening right now, but she grabbed my hand and she said, I think you should just go talk to your husband. Like, this is what I want to do. A week later, we sat down. She met Vinny for the first time, and that was about 18 weeks into her pregnancy. She invited me to a sonogram later in the pregnancy, and the technician, I remember, she said, I don't know why you keep calling this baby a girl. This baby is a boy. And I just, I was like floored that the Lord is true to what he promises. And so the Lord just said, Jennifer, this is your baby. About two weeks, I guess, after his adoption was finalized, uh, we found out that we were pregnant. We found out she was a girl. And even whenever we went into that sonogram appointment, like I, I told the lady, I told the technician, I'd really like to try to see if I can see if it's a boy or a girl, because I really think it's a girl. She was like, yeah, everybody says that they think that they know what it is. And I was like, no, I feel like God told me. And she was born six and a half weeks early in December. So we did some chromosome testing at that point and found out that she was born... Um, with a chromosome deletion. It's called, the syndrome is called Phelan-McDermott syndrome. Isabella cannot walk, she's nonverbal, um, has trouble eating. Um, and so we, what we're dealing with is something that's, um, you know, we realize it's, it's, it's difficult, but um, we believe God can work a miracle. We knew what we were believing for, we knew the, the, the faith that we had, but we just did not we just felt like we just did not have the people around us that we that were like us. We had people that were in our life, but it felt like we were having to pull everybody else's faith up to where ours was, yeah. if that makes sense. So she heard um, the podcast and she said, Vinny, you need to listen to these. And the podcast that really, for me, struck me was when he was preaching on the 12 stones and he, every, every week. And the ones we see with eyes of hope and we speak to mountains. And those two messages, when I heard them, I just thought, they're like me. These people are like us. I mean, we, 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 got, we have to go there. We, just, we have to be there. I think when people's, people don't know what to do with Isabella, but one thing that I love about Shoreline is that people will say hi to me, and then they get down on her level, and they say hi to her, whether she ever looks at them or not. Like, we, when you talk about see the one, and you can see a little girl in a wheelchair, like, that's seeing the one. I mean, Jennifer said this before, that our, our story doesn't end here. And I think that it's still being written. Um, you know, we don't feel like this is this is it. You know, we got our baby boy and, you know, we got our girl and now she's disabled and has a genetic disorder and too bad. I think God is still writing our story. Um, we're just in the middle. We're just in the middle <laughs> of it. I can't explain the sovereignty of God. I don't know how it works. I do know that some people get healed and some don't. But I do know that God is able and I know what he's capable of.
And so I'm gonna keep praying because we think, who knows? God might just do this. And so what if he does it? But what if he does? Why, what are you gonna do if he does it? What are you gonna do if he does? When we think of gardens, we tend to think of beauty. You know, flowers that are blossoming out of the ground. But that's, that's the glory of the garden. There's another part. There's, there's something else going on underneath the surface of the garden that helps produce that kind of glory. There are, underneath the surface, there's a lot of change, a lot of breaking. Uh, there's burying that has to take place, even, even some death in order for that garden, that seed, to turn into beauty, to turn into glory. Uh, a little science lesson for everybody uh, who's uh, with us right now. Now, I recognize there are most of us in here who don't even care anything about science, but some of us in here are a little bit nerdy. And, and, and since we are, I happen to really enjoy science. So I was just doing a little bit of study on the seed. And, and you know this like I do. The seed doesn't look really anything like the final product. But inside of that seed is this plant embryo. And when you take that seed and you put it into the ground, you can't put it too deep. You got to put it at just the right place in the right kind of soil. And you got to have enough airflow and enough water. But when, when the water begins to hit that seed, the, the, the outer casing begins to expand. And what's on the inside of it breaks out. And then after it breaks out, it begins to create some roots. Then it ends up breaking through the ground. That's your science lesson for the day. This, my friends, is what takes place in all of our lives. But Jesus even talked about this. Jesus talked about seed and the dying and the breaking and the producing of an amazing, glorious harvest. Look with me in John chapter 12, verse number 24, 23 and 24. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Here is our savior. He's announcing my time is here. I came to the earth for a reason. I'm here on assignment. I'm not here on accident. Neither are you here on accident. Neither am I here on accident. But our savior, his mission is greater than any of ours. He is saying, I came for a reason. And now it is time for me to be glorified. It is time for me to step into my potential. It is time for me to step into my purpose. The moment is here. A little bit later, he says, am I to shy away from this moment? Am I to run the opposite direction? No, by no means at all. It's for this very reason that I came to this hour. God, glorify your name. So he's stepping into this with strength. But right after he says it's time for his name to be glorified, look at the words Jesus uses. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Our, our Savior here is, is painting a very, very clear picture of this wheat that, that falls to the ground, this kernel, the seed falls to the ground. But if the seed, this one seed is willing to die, then many more seeds will come to life. Jesus was that one seed that needed to die so that you and I could come to new life in him. But this is not the first time we hear about a seed in the Bible. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse number 15, the Bible says something beautiful here. 
It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is after the fall of man. Sin has entered the world. The relationship between God and mankind, humankind, has been broken. It's been fragmented. It's been torn apart. But God says, humanity, you will not be hopeless forever. As a matter of fact, here is a word of prophecy. Here's a word of promise that I have for all of humanity. There will be a seed that will come from the woman. And this seed will crush the head of the serpent, will crush the head of the enemy. Now, this enemy will bruise this seed's heel. Look at the life of Jesus. His heel was bruised. The Bible speaks how he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. All the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So there there was some pain that Jesus had to endure, but the promise is not just that Jesus goes through pain. There's also a promise that this seed of the woman, Jesus Christ himself, would crush the head of the enemy. Do you know that in the Gospels, Jesus was, was crucified on a place called Golgotha? It means the place of the skull, the place of the head. So when you are looking at this old rugged cross and our Savior being uh, stretched upon it and he drops into that ground, it is as if a spear is going into the head, into the skull of the enemy and our salvation is being purchased at that very moment. This is the power of the gospel and the power of our Savior. He is so good. See the connection? In Genesis 3, the seed of the woman crushing the head, the skull of the enemy. And do you see in John chapter 12 that a seed has to die in order to bring about new life. I just want to help bring some sense to your life and some sense to my life and the sense, some sense to some of the lives that are in this story that we're watching today that you and I need to understand that God is not done with you yet. He takes things on this process from garden to glory. And if you are underneath the surface right now in a dark place, thinking you will be there forever, understand that Jesus never designed for his sons and daughters to stay in that place forever but you got to start there my last verse going back to John chapter 12 verse 25 Jesus says and anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life he says it another way in other gospels he says If you're willing to lose your life, you find it. If you're willing to die, that's when you actually live. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, hey, participate with me. Follow in my footsteps. Follow my path. Follow my example. Do like I've done. Lay your life down. And when you and I do this, you and I get to share not only in the sufferings, but you and I share in the glory of the resurrection as well. My friends, you and I are walking into new life from garden to glory. See, what starts in a garden with with crushing and and darkness and a little bit of pain. Friends, it ends up turning, turning into the glory of salvation 
and transformation. That's the journey I'm on. That's the journey you're on. That's the journey all of us are on together. Let's keep watching these stories, learning the beauty of garden to glory. I think I started drinking probably around uh, 12 or 13 years old. And it was just being boys, going on camping trips together and drinking. And it was innocent to some degree. And then as years progressed into high school and early college, the, uh, the problems uh, that surround um, drinking and a lifestyle like that started to come about. And definitely realized that I started having a problem with alcohol. And so my parents um, ended up cutting me off. Um, I ended up quitting school for a season. And uh, I, I had an encounter with God during that season and I decided to st uh, definitely stop drinking. But at the end of that season, I felt, I've still felt as empty, if not more empty than I'd felt in the past with my addiction or problems with alcohol. And ended up leaving and going to finish my marketing degree. And that's whenever I started drinking again. And uh, it started off very lightly, just casually, socially drinking and slowly progressed to being some serious, being a serious issue in my life. My first job out of college was a working for a home security company out in Plano, Texas. And the individual that interviewed me ended up becoming my boss at the time was Alan Tuttle. And we connected, become friends almost immediately. And Alan started telling me about a church that, they, that him and his wife were a part of and they were, that was launching here in a few weeks and he invited me to come. And my whole life I never really connected, even growing up in the church, I never really connected with church people per se. Um, they, I just never developed close friendships throughout the years. And for the next two and a half years, even though my drinking and the addiction that I had in my life progressively got worse and worse, my friendships at Shoreline got deeper and deeper. And that was something that I wasn't used to. I was, I was used to whenever the issues in my life started to surface and people started to see the things that were going on behind the scenes that they would end up pushing you away or um, judging you or wanting to try to fix you or solve your problems. But the complete different was true. I thought people at Shoreline were weird because I'd never been around Christians like that. In September, at a birthday party that I was going to. And before I ever showed up, I started drinking that day, went to the party. The only thing I can recall is finally I started coming to. It was as if I was having an out-of-body experience. I started hearing voices and I could, I could hear them saying, he's almost there, he's almost there, we almost have him. And slowly I started realizing that I was dying. I can remember knowing that I needed to cry out to Jesus, but I was so hopeless that I, that I reasoned in that moment that Jesus had never answered any prayers before, so he wasn't going to then. The next morning I wake up and I'm laying face down on the floor in a friend's living room. And I knew that my addiction had got to a point that I couldn't, I could not control it any longer, that it was gonna end up killing me. So I decided to call a staff pastor here at Shoreline City that I developed a relationship with for the last couple years um, at that point and asking would he just come and have lunch with me. Uh, they asked me just to try. They asked me, they said, just for the next few months, just read your Bible and just pray. Even if you don't believe it, even if you don't feel it, just try right now. And so I did. A couple months passed and I'd quit drinking. Um, I hadn't drank, it was miserable. I was extremely lonely. And I went home for Thanksgiving 
And I remember Thanksgiving was over with and my parents took me to the airport to fly back to Dallas. And airports were always extremely hard for me because I'd al I would always drink before I'd get on planes. And uh, it was something that I always had done. And about the time I get through security, they announced that my flight had got delayed for an hour and a half. And it was one of those games I was playing, like, am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? And I paced up and down the terminal. And then finally, there was some chairs that were sitting in the middle of the terminal right across from the bar. And there was a book by Judith Smith called Jesus Is, and I bought it as an audiobook. And so I decided to sit down and just start listening to it. And it was talking about um, how Jesus is a friend of sinners and how Jesus was labeled by the religious people, by Christians per se, as being known as a friend of sinners. And I can remember having all these thoughts about how I wanted to be in this bar, sitting down with these people and they're having fun because that's the type of people that I like. And the book closed out and it said, if Jesus is a friend of sinners, then Jesus is a friend of mine. And I started to realize that Jesus didn't love perfect people and want me to be perfect, but that the God of the God of heaven was radically and passionately in love with me just the way I was. And in that moment of listening to that simple line that if Jesus is a friend of sinners and Jesus is a friend of mine, it revolutionized my life and my entire life in that moment was altered. And it was because Jesus was the answer, not because living by a set of rules or dotting every I and crossing every T. I did that and it didn't, it did nothing for me but the only thing that can make a difference was Jesus. The next few years were filled with man, just tons of amazing things. My life being transformed, um, relationships that I'll have for a lifetime. But I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that I would, that I would be sitting here today getting to tell the story with, with my wife. I said it in our wedding vows and uh, it's true today that next to salvation, she's the biggest display of God's grace in my life. There's always hope. God's plan for you is greater than your wildest dreams. This is a judgment-free zone that majority of everyone in this room knows that we are all just sinners saved by grace, that we're not better than anyone else, that it's only by the grace of God that we're here. And so I would encourage you to go find a leader, find someone to speak with, because there's hope. There's hope in this house. There's hope for your story. There's hope for your future. And that hope is Jesus.